Hello and welcome to You Don't Know Lit. My name is Nick Argeris and this week I'm looking for the best book name, Why Fish Don't Exist. To help mm. me are two high school English teachers, Ian and Joe. Hi, Nick. I'm Joe. I thought fish existed until this week, but now I know better. I read a book called Why Why Fish Don't Exist. It's by Lulu Miller. It was super good. Ian read it too. Now he doesn't know what to say. Now. Flish, slosh, Nick, glup, blup, Joe. This week, my name is Dr. Rodden Real Netboater, and I, like Joe, read a lithead recommendation, Why Fish Don't Exist. May your earlobes turn into assholes and shit on your shoulders. Hey, the plot doesn't fucking matter at all. This is what I think it's about. If you look closely <laughs> enough, every author was at some point a racist. Audiobooks don't count, right? All art is quite useless. <laughs> who, who told you that? Fun fact, that is how Joe laughs. Lithead recommendation recommended by Josh. This book has fish, Darwin, poisoning, eugenics, chaos, more chaos, the meaning of life, sexual orientation, (laughs) alcoholism, Stanford, more fish. What else could you ask for? And I I mean, Josh, I kind of agree. That's like, it's a lot of my areas of interest. It's a great list courtesy of Josh. And one of my favorite things is just the the drop of a sexual orientation. (laughs) Sexual orientation. (laughs) And and I feel like she really slides that in as well. Lulu Miller, like, it's not really about sexual orientation until, like, the last, like, 25% of the book. And then you're like, oh, okay, we're getting this, too. Uh, Well, welcome, Litheads, to You Don't Know Lit, uh, a weekly, or as we call it, strongly podcast, where typically every week we pick a theme, or you do. And Joe and Ian, two high school English teachers, bring book recommendations. But every once in a while, we do a cop-out, and we only bring one. So, here we are. Gentlemen, the rules still apply. Apply rule number one: only unavoidable spoilers. All right. Although I feel like the title is a spoiler. Title is a spoiler. spoiler. So I'm concerned. I mean, that's little Miller's problem, not ours. Rule number two: omit needless words, Joe. Rule number three: only winning matters, which doesn't apply. But I'm glad. I'm glad we said it. You know. Yeah. 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 We have to establish the rules. Well, and I think it's good to know the dynamic. We're also like educating the lead heads about the world. And we're telling them yeah. that if they Only come in second, if, yeah. if they don't come in first in the workplace, in school, yeah, you're, mm-hmm. you're, you're uh, a loser. I think the word is trash. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A trash person. Well, you know, one of you still gets to read a quote. So there's still a loser today, right? I mean, Absolutely. I think we'll take solace yep. in that. that. One of you will feel bad today by mm-hmm. the end of one the One of show. you has to and tell that... the litheads what to do and the other one reads a quote. Yes. Yes. Everybody's favorite part of the show. <laughs> um, okay. Who wants to tell me what this book is about? Give me the back cover. Or the front huh. cover, or the inside thing part. Okay, Nick, this book is weird. I want to start there. It's about a guy, largely named David Star Jordan. This guy is an ichthyologist. That's a guy who studies Ew. fish. He's the first president of Stanford. He's like a super osp- optimistic guy. He's also like a possible murderer and a proponent of eugenics and coming. an all-around odd dude. Right. Yeah. yeah. Wow! Yeah, I, it's uh, okay. I love is this. I love a fiction that you said, book. No, nope. it's true. It's all okay. true. It's real. I, truth. I love that you use the word weird because my little my little thirty second plot thing. It also you, starts now you off. Try, this Ian. is now you. Now this you is try. a weird yeah. book. This, this is a weird book. book. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's doing a lot. It's got some personal memoir in there. Yes, it's got that kind of historical thing where it's like, here's this character you didn't know much about, but it's a real person. You should know mm-hmm. about them. Um, there's a lot of what we might call moral philosophy 
Um, and then there's some science summary of scientific methodology. Uh, some of these pieces I think are amazing. Mm-hmm. Some of them are okay, and a couple of them really, really don't work. I, I think Joe loved okay. this book. I have a more mixed perspective. So like, oh, good. This is good drama. Well, and I'm happy to see. I'm happy to say that Ian um, t- says that parts of this book don't exist, or don't, don't exist. Parts of this I book mean, do that, exist. That is true. Uh, like the fish, no, parts exist. of this book don't work because as I was reading it, like I would come to sections itself, and I was like, oh, it's always so weird when Ian and I are. Ian and I are going to talk about the same book because I'm like, this part is weird. Like, like this part is weird, right? And then it's like, I don't know if Ian's going to think it's weird though. And I don't want to fight with Ian, even though it's like the premise of what we do here. It's fun. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I, wow. I think, Can I read a one-star review? Yeah. Oh, I normally yes, don't like to jump in this quick, but when Hitler's referenced, I like to get into it. <laughs> One star from Michelle, spelled with a uh, S-H. Never seen mm-hmm. that before either. Interesting. Okay. There's so many new names you uh, learn about on Goodreads. Sal writes, can't say why I don't like it without spoiling you. <laughs> <laughs> without so ruining spoiled. you forever. <laughs> and now I'm questioning the S, if I'm, if I'm being totally honest. Um, all right. Can't, can't say why I don't like it without spoiling you. But the twist is the first thing that comes up when you Google search the subject matter, rendering the entire lens through which the story is told disingenuous. You don't Google Hitler and get articles about his paintings first. One star. Mm, Now, what is there? Should we get right into, is this author canceled? (laughs) Or should we move on? Oh, no, no, no. She's not canceled. No, No, I don't don't think she's canceled. Um, Okay. This is her first book. Why, Ian, give us the drama. No. Wait, put a pin let's, in the let's drama. Start, let's start Joe, tell us what Joe. the... Let's start with let's, Joe. Can you give me okay. a feel for how this book reads? It sounds yeah. uh, a little bit of a uh, mixed... Yep, absolutely. For the first few chapters of this book, it seems to be a straight up retelling of this guy's life that I had never heard of. This guy named David Starr Jordan. And he's presented as a pretty interesting dude, right? Like he seems like the kind of guy that it's worth reading a book about his life. He, um, grew up like like in rural America. He was kind of obsessed with cataloging things early on. Like he would learn like the scientific names for the plants in his fields. He would like catalog the stars. He was like really obsessed with putting an order to the universe. It's like a common theme that comes like throughout Darwin. Mm, so Darwin's a huge, huge, huge part of this book. Um, David Starr Jordan is a, is living contemporaneously with Darwin. So like, so he goes on, he goes and lives on this island for a little while with this guy who's like obsessed with cataloging the natural world. And he becomes a, what, what do you call it, Ian? Uh, uh, Taxonomist. Uh, uh, taxonomist. Thank you. Like they, yeah. they find things and they ca- and they label them and they decide what's related to what and things like that. Wait, wait. That and that's who this guy. That's what this guy did. That's what this guy did. He okay. was, yeah. he was like literally reliving Darwin's life. To be clear, it wasn't like Star looked at Darwin and said, "I want, I want to be that guy." It's that this was kind of the way. The, one of the big ways yeah. that you did taxonomy and naturalism. You went to a, a different place of the world and you said, "What do they have here?" Mm-hmm. You shot things, you put, you yep. drew pictures of them, you tried to dis- you dissected them, them yeah. you poison them, you tried to figure out like what was related to what. And there's this idea that emerges super early on in this book of 
If you can give an order to the natural world, like if you can kind of rank the natural world, like humans are on top, obviously, obviously guys, right? And awesome. fish are somewhere below humans, obviously. But if you can start saying like, okay, well, say we have birds on this ladder and say we have an ostrich on this ladder and a peacock on this ladder. Well, which one of those things is higher? Like which one of those things is literally closer to God? Like, it, like does God prefer the ostrich? Or does God prefer the peacock? That is a great question. Great. Hey, valid (laughs) scientific pursuit. (laughs) This guy's asking the right questions. (laughs) Is this guy a scientist at all? Oh, this is this was like a huge area of science, right? Like it's like he's doing he's using science in order to get a better understanding of the man upstairs, God's world and therefore Mm. God. That's the idea. Mm. Like you don't just do science to get published or for the sake of science you do science because according to him and plenty of other people science gave you a better sense of who god is right like if 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 god created the world and god created this fish by understanding this fish i am but i am able to better understand god's mind so that's the first few chapters and then all of a sudden like the third chapter of this book our author becomes a character, right? Lulu Miller is a character in this book. She has a whole chapter where she talks about her childhood. She talks about her own father, who's a scientist himself, and how she has this anecdote early on where she's on, I think, Cape Cod. Like she's on vacation with her dad somewhere, with her family somewhere. And she asks her dad, she's a little girl, and she says, Dad, what's the meaning of life? Like, like, what are we here for? What is this all for? And her dad very jovially tells her, Oh, Lulu, honey, there's no meaning of life. <laughs> like, like this is an accident. Like, there's no purpose is she here. She's six. She's a child. Yeah, yeah. She, she's like literally seven. six yep. or eight years seven. old. Seven. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she's like, and for my dad, he found this really rejuvenating and yeah. comforting and life affirming. And she's like, and for me, it created a seven year old existential crisis that has been mm-hmm. with me ever since. Yeah, I have pretty big fears about this because like you know my thoughts and feelings have taken an entire life to build you know mm-hmm. and then you know your kid comes and you say something and it's like oh that's gonna be a, a block for you for the rest of your yeah, life yeah you just <laughs> drop that baggage on your kids yeah you know i i heard once that you're always so obsessed with not screwing up your kids the same way that your parents screwed you up but you're yeah. just screwing your kids screwing up in a whole way. different way whole yep, new absolutely way. absolutely <laughs> that's a circle of life okay so um yep. she's like enough of this guy i'm in the book now yeah um I, but and, and the idea is she, she begins the prologue by saying hey i have this existential crisis I turned to David Starr Jordan because it seemed like he had something. He understood something about the world. Um, David Starr Jordan's thing is he doesn't give up. He has some pretty big things that happen and Joe can tell or not about what those are. But um, she says he he seemed to me to be a role model. And so she presents Jordan and Jordan's life as her potential way out of this existential crisis. And Litheads, if you're wondering what David Starr Jordan looks like, he's just a it's just a white guy. He kind of yeah. looks like Edison. Um, fun fact, he gave himself that middle name, Nick. Um, his middle name was not naturally Starr, but once he had cataloged all the stars, he, he took it like a badge Look of honor. out. At, honest to God. It's like you might wear <laughs> your enemy's skin or something Joe, like that. Right? Joe podcast and whole shoe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's terrible. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So, so, so the rest of this book is kind of an interlude. Second act is her life. 
Mm, it's sort of interspersed throughout. Yeah, it's yeah, dispersed okay. throughout. It's kind of this weaving of let me tell you what happens next in David Starr Jordan's life, and now let me tell you what happened after I graduated college and broke up with my boyfriend and moved to Chicago, or whatever the case is. We kind of get their two life stories um, interleaved with one another as this book goes on. Yeah, and and the idea, I think she. Boy, this is going to sound so snarky. I think she <laughs> sees the connections clearly. Get to the um, drama, Ian. I, I tell I tell this to my students. I tell, I tell them, I can't read your mind. You need to make those connections between your ideas evident to me. It's clear that she sees the connection between personal memoir, history, moral philosophy, and this scientific methodology piece. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes those connections are clear, but mm-hmm. sometimes they're, they're not. Um, mm-hmm. I have problems with the moral philosophy, which I can talk about later, but I think... I think one of the things that that I struggled with with this book is that it is doing a lot, and it's not a long book either. Um, so there are like there are chunks of memoir, but I think an important thing with memoir is we need to care a lot if we're going to learn your story. That's why crying in H Mart works so well because she she makes us care about her mother who is dying of cancer and the the momentous normal and all that stuff. This piece, like okay, yeah, it sounds bad for you, Lulu Jordan, but Lulu, Lulu. Miller? Uh, Lulu, Lulu Miller. Miller. <laughs> Taking on Robert Stars. Um, Lulu Books Miller. <laughs> Lulu Books Miller. Her, her, memoir is, her, her memoir is too spotty for me personally to care. The history piece is really good until she's like, yeah, and then the rest of his life happened, whatever. Like That's what a, another one-star mm-hmm. re- review said. It was like, it's weird reading a, um, a, a memoir about somebody who's not famous. I feel like we've yeah, talked or, about this before, or or someone. It's not not, not just famous. Like famous yeah. is is one way, but they, they've got to be interesting in another way. And mm-hmm. I think the right. stuff she talks about is somewhat. I, I can see the interest, but mm-hmm. I can't. She. Okay. I can't, You're trying to not. Are you trying to not spoil something? No, no not I'm, I'm trying to be kind. I'm trying not to say like. Your story is a story that a lot of people have had. Right, yeah. like the stuff she talks about is identifiable. Right. Like the stuff she talks about is identifiable where she says, like, look, I had this existential crisis. I went to college. I wandered around for a little bit after college. I dated this guy that I kind of thought was the one. And then I accidentally kind of sort of cheated on him with a girl when I went on vacation once. And then, like, we broke up and I things got bad and I moved to Chicago and lived with a friend and I was writing this book. And like, she kind of tells that story. And it's it's the drama is identifiable but well it sounds like everybody's 20s if if you're gonna tell if yes 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 yes. if you're going to tell that story you better tell it really really well and Mm, i would say she tells it pretty well okay Um, yeah but she doesn't she doesn't she doesn't imbue it i mean it's it's the normal right it goes back to that that concept of the momentous normal that i talked about with crying in h mart this is normal this is usual this is identifiable but there's not that piece that kicks into the next year where you're like okay you are explaining or describing or discussing yeah. a common occurrence in such a way that I think your voice on this is super worth listening to. And yeah. that's a brutal review. What, you know, <laughs> I feel like this is <laughs> boof. That was like, you know what, you know, when like um, somebody's really nice when they share an insult, it like mm-hmm. hurts more. <laughs> it hurts more. Right. Yeah. Um, well, there was something about this that there was something that I realized about halfway through this book that unlocked it for me. And Ian, maybe you knew this going in, but I was listening 
to this book and the structure of it was so familiar to me. And it took me a second to to figure out. And I said, Oh, this is like an episode of like this American life, or this is like an episode of radio lab or something like that. Like this is like, let me tell you about this thing that exists in the world, Mm -hmm. right? Let me tell Mm -hmm. you about this concrete Mm -hmm. thing that exists in the world. Allow me then to talk about its personal significance to me. Yeah, let me get its mm-hmm. personal relevance to me. And then allow me to draw a lesson from that, right? Yeah. Like it's, it kind of does this thing and it does it kind of over and over. And then I started reading about Lulu Miller a little bit. Ian, you you know this already. Um, Lulu Miller was working in a wood shop when she was just out of college, kind of kicking around. And she <laughs> when she was Lulu Woodshop Miller, <laughs> <laughs> Lulu Woodshop Miller, and she would listen to public radio all day. That went to bed. <laughs> she would listen to public radio all day. She heard this show on public radio called um, Radio Lab at the time. It was a local show on WNYC, and she's like. I love this show. I'm going to see if I can volunteer for them. She calls them up. She offers her services. She goes in and starts checking email once a week. And basically, she built that phone call or that moment into a life working in public radio, right? Like she is a producer on Radio Lab. She is currently one of the hosts of Radio Lab now that Jad Apanad has has retired. Um, she worked as a radio producer. She sold stories to NPR. Like this feels like an NPR podcast or an NPR show, but instead of being an hour long, it's it's 300 pages long or whatever it is. This this guy, David Starr Jordan, seems like a really like classic 1800s era American dude. Yeah. Um, does some great things, does them in a really terrible way, hurts a lot of people along the way. Of course. <laughs> like, yes. He he becomes he's I think the first president of Stanford University. He knows Mr. and Mrs. Stanford. In mm-hmm. fact, when Mrs. Stanford is murdered, he helps cover up the murder of Mrs. Stanford. So like mm-hmm. he Whoa. is <laughs> Yeah, right? Uh, like, yeah. Okay. Let's put a pin in Mrs. Stanford. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, somebody uh, put some poison in Mrs. Stanford. Um, he also identified wow. lots and lots and lots Probably of fish. Mr. Stanford, right? I mean, it's always the husband. No, he dies first. Mr. Stanford died first. Yeah. They yeah. were Sorry, murdered? No. The Stanfords no, were Mr. murdered? Uh, Mr. Stanford. Mr. Stanford died separately. And then Mrs. Stanford died dramatically. And uh, Jordan, who was not the best friends with Mrs. Stanford, took mm-hmm. steps to make it make it make public opinion think it was an accident mm-hmm. took i mean as and Nick, to i know you're thinking like oh he floated something out no he sailed to hawaii he hired a private investigator his own doctor like they did a separate autopsy and like his doctor who was like this kid just out of med school was like yeah it totally was not a poisoning guys uh, <laughs> like totally wasn't sounds that that sounds like a, a different episode it's um the, the the history that we get of of him and sort of how much he has to overcome he is um he is uh cataloging fish in jars and then something happens to those jars i'm not going to say what maybe they get mixed around maybe other things but he has some pretty major catastrophes and he keeps coming back this part of the book is really really interesting and i mentioned how it kind of peters out at a certain point, she sort of stops telling his story and she's like, yeah, and then he died anyway. I wish there had been more of more of that. That feels like the piece of this podcast episode 
if it's if the book is a podcast episode that I would like I would want to hear more of. Yeah, but podcasts are always disappointing. You know, all those murder mystery ones that are like, this is a big deal. And then you finish the series and it's like, all right, well, you don't really have any answers at all. Right, you don't have any new information. You have nothing new. Yeah. So that's 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 the that's the cool part. And he does. Um, sorry, the, the problematic piece is that he does get into eugenics hardcore. OK. And she's recapping this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so she yeah. she describes how he kind of becomes one of the major proponents of eugenics and he helps found societies to push eugenics and he mm-hmm. helps design the eugenics policies that the Nazis eventually looked at and said, "Ooh, America, nice job with eugenics. We should do that mm-hmm. too." Um this is true, by the way. The Nazis mm-hmm. got their ideas about eugenics from America. Right, yeah. American. So And then we got um, all those doctors. <laughs> Uh, never mind. <laughs> back and forth. Uh, back and forth. That's another episode um, as well. <laughs> so, so um, this this piece is really fascinating. Is this uh, is this a, like a spiritual book about how finding the existence of God and the meaning of life? And she realizes fish don't exist, and therefore uh, God doesn't exist. Is that kind of know, the opposite? That, actually, uh, yeah, kind of the opposite. Okay. So, okay, fish real. Is- God, God, yes, fish real. Fish not real, God, yes. Which one yeah, is it? Got it. Joe, I, I think I, think I can me, do this. Let me ask a better question. Does no, God no, exist, no, I, th- I think I can do this. I think I got okay. this. So, <laughs> it starts with David Starford Jordan cataloging fish, right? Like, cataloging all these things. And she makes an argument in the book, right, that David Starr Jordan's obsession with cataloging the world and placing the world, the species of the world, uh, on a hierarchy... She makes an argument that the natural result of that is eugenics, right? Like when you place everything on a hierarchy, you put humans at the top, right? Like the natural next step is, oh, maybe some humans are more fit than others. Maybe we should, et cetera, et cetera, right? It's a, yeah, dark path. All right. Dark path. David Starr Jordan gets his start after he masters the skies and gives himself the middle name Star. <laughs> yeah. He gets his start cataloging fish. At one point, he and his team had catalogs. I think it's like 25% of all fish spe- species known on the planet or something like that. Like huge swaths of the, of the scientific catalog were because he of He wanted to change his name. <laughs> David Fish Jordan. Not as cool. Yeah. Not as cool. <laughs> Towards the end of this book, She breaks open this thing and she's like, but here's the turns out. She's like, scientists today do not recognize fish is an actual species in the catalog. Or no, not species, not species. Um, We see order or genus. Yeah, order, phylum, genus. One of those one of those things that you learned in like one of those words. We're not sure. And she breaks it down like this. And I I think she uses a really good. um. I think there's a really good metaphor that she writes about here. She said, say, for example, that there's all these animals that live on top of a mountain, right? And say that you live on top of a mountain and goats live on top of this mountain and snakes live on top of this mountain, etc. And the top of this mountain is really, really, really cold. And because it's so cold, we all need protection against that cold. And say that our natural protection against that cold is that we all develop thick plaid skin, right? So the snakes have Where thick plaid skin. Where is this going? No, it, it's almost finished. <laughs> plaid, the snakes okay. have thick, thick plaid skin. The people have thick plaid skin. The goats have thick plaid skin. Great. She says, somebody looking at all those things on top of that mountain, all with thick plaid skin, might naturally say, oh, those things are all the same thing. 
right? Like those things are all related to each other uh, when in fact they're not. They're totally different species all with the same adaptation. Scientists believe that that is what underwater life now is, right? Like when we look at all these different fish and we see them as like scaly and slimy and torsional and all these things, she's like, look, we identify that and we say that's a fish. But the reality is, is like those are just adaptations for living underwater. The things that actually separates their species or phylum or genus or whatever it is um, are internal, right, are, 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 are different than that. Therefore, below the gills, they're it's it's yeah, below the gills. Therefore, fish as a thing, species, phylum, order, whatever, are do not exist. They are not an actual thing, and this is an accepted area of scientific thought today. So she says, "Dear Robert Starr Jordan, like guy whose thoughts, whose cat, whose obsessive cataloging of fish led to eugenics." It's that, that's a little bit of a slippery slope, right? Yeah. yeah. Dear, dear David Starr Jordan, who is obsessing with, who is obsessed with cataloging the world, the foundation, the premise of your argument is a flawed one. Like, cause you screwed it up, right? Like David Starr Jordan, you screwed it up from the beginning. How dare you? Yeah. I'm thinking we take back that middle name. <laughs> <laughs> um, Got it. So, yeah, so that's interesting. She's basically saying fish is just some extremely broad category that is meaningless and uh, kind of ignorant. And how does yeah. that apply to her finding God? Well, so I think how, this is... What, what is her existential crisis? <laughs> this is a, a good way for me to pivot to, to finally talking about moral philosophy. So, <laughs> she... <laughs> oh, God. Long awaited. Um, so she, uh, Sorry, this, this, book, this book takes as a, as a premise, uh, kind of as a given that the world is chaotic. Um, and, and that there's no, there's no order. You can't, you can't look and find an intrinsic order. Right. If there's not a natural, you know, she's right. rejecting so, this order and she's yes, saying, that, because that, that doesn't yeah. exist, it is a chaotic world. Right. Right. And he said, and, and, and star, Robert Star, David Star Jordan says, like everything can be fit into which are the better animals and which are the worse animals he talks about. So Jordan is an early evolutionist and Jordan believes that some animals which are morally like bad evolve downward. They devolve. I, as I was reading this, something, something about her argument bothered me and I couldn't put my finger on it until I got towards the end for her to say that the world is chaotic. Doesn't necessarily mean that the world is meaningless. Chaos doesn't equal meaningless. But I think that this is an untenable position. So she basically argues that meaning in the world is built by human reason, that we reason our way into all meaning, all meaning. And that means that there is no such thing. If, if we're getting rid of these hierarchies, if, if meaning is constructed by the human, then none of the worldviews are intrinsically better than any other ones. If I'm if, if meaning emerges from my own perspective on the world there, that means that my perspective is just as valid as yours, Nick and yours, Joe. That's and a good this thing. Is a this is a, uh, this is a perspective she can't oh. sustain because she goes into this then saying Ian believes in eugenics, everybody. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> she then no, moves from chaos means that human constructed meaning is equal to Eugenics are bad, morally bad. Yeah. Racism, racism is morally bad. The environment should be protected. This is a moral good. And so she's arguing on the one hand 
that everyone's viewpoints are, uh, uh, everyone's um, uh, meaning created by humans is equal. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, that there are certain things which are moral absolutes. Eugenics is a morally absolutely bad thing. And these two ideas can't coexist. Either we say that everyone's interpretation of the world has validity or we say there are some moral absolutes like eugenics is a terrible thing racism is a terrible thing and she can't reconcile these two either true chaos reigns which is what she's saying or there are certain there are certain absolute truths that everyone accepts intrinsically and should this, this is this is what she puts forth as her moral or her existential dilemma these two things or this is what you're calling out she she puts forward the idea that she, she takes as a given that the world is chaos. And then like the Joker, she talks and then like she the talks Joker. about like the Joker and then she talks about moral absolutes. Mm-hmm. Right. Which are incompatible with the idea that the world is chaos. Yeah, I think I know what you mean. If there are moral absolutes, right? If there are moral absolutes like you shouldn't be racist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Isn't that just uh, a culmination, though, of people of many opinions is the uh, some sort of absolute you know like if enough people have that opinion then it is maybe mm, i don't this. like the, i don't ooh, i don't i don't i don't like the moral <laughs> position well, next the eugenics well, so, team guys <laughs> ian have you ever been on social media because um, <laughs> this is like this is as so this is this is the risk right if we yeah. if we give enough if, if we say that like morality is determined by l- truly enough people clicking like and share than mm-hmm. smashing the subscribe essentially we we get into we get into some pretty bad end game situations so i think she is the, the thing that bothered me <laughs> it's called 2023 <laughs> no, here we are the thing that bothered me about this book is that she tries to deny absolutes and then she relies on absolutes to make some pretty like Other straightforward claims. claims. Like when she says eugenics is bad, only Nazis will say, oh, you monster. Like mm. most of us will agree that eugenics is bad. Can I get a verbal confirmation from all of you that you? Yeah, I would I'll like to put what, what? on the record right here. Eugenics <laughs> is bad. What? What? <laughs> um, I noticed it's not a not a. A confirmation, but we'll we'll let it. Ah, uh, what, so, what's a confirmation? This is the, <laughs> this is this is what really bothered me about this book that she okay. is trying to. No, she, is, she is fundamentally fundamentally grounding this on everything has to lead to chaos. Uh, chaos is the undergirding principle of the world, and the very next breath, she denies that over and over and over. And I'm like, make up your mind. You know, the mm-hmm. world's a complex place, Ian. You know. No, well, I don't think there's any catalog it in a certain way, like <laughs> establish some sort of hierarchy. Um, OK, well, now that Ian's been a total downer about this book, I would like to no, I would I would like to say one thing I really liked about this book, because she does. She sets out this premise at the very beginning where she's like, I want to wrap this shit up. Yep, absolutely. She's like, look. The, the world is chaos. The world is meaningless. My dad says so. Mm-hmm. Right. Like and, I was and, born and, in the darkness. Yes. That's what she said. <laughs> she does arrive somewhere here that I I like. And I think I like it because I think it really mirrors my own feelings about the world. And basically she says, look, I really had a hard time reconciling this. Like if the world is chaos, where do we find meaning? And she pretty much comes down to this thing. I won't go into how she comes down to it, but it's like, oh, right. I think meaning is just in other people. 
here, right? Like, I think the meaning, the beauty, the whatever we find in this world is like us finding other people in this world too. She said something like, let their light reflect back on us or something. And I thought that was like kind of a nice um, agnostic meaning that this book came away with. Like mm-hmm. out of this chaos came beauty, came order. Which Ooh. means that if you, which means that if you don't have, if you don't have meaning in your life, then mm-hmm. um, either you can't find the people or you can't, mm-hmm. um, you can't you handle them correctly. Like, just got to get out there. Put yourself just gotta out, get there. out there. And boogie, uh, I guess, is the moral of this story. Get on the apps. Gentlemen, welcome to you Tiffany's did. A Safe Place, where you can oh. tell me all the terrible things about your book without it being held against you. Uh, Ian, you already went. Joseph? Mm-hmm. Yep. Are we good? Y- yeah. <laughs> the only thing I would add to Tiffany's is, is I think it's, this book wanders as it goes on, I think. It starts out feeling pretty tight at the beginning and pretty good at the beginning. And then when she looks for a conclusion of this book, it like this book feels like it's about 90 pages longer than it needs to be. And, and it's mm-hmm. a relatively yep. short book. It's about a 230, 240 pages as my, as my digital book here. Um, but You think it could have been a think, podcast episode? I, I think like, it could have been. Put it this way. <laughs> yep. I, I'm looking at page 170 right now, and I'm looking at what I think might be a pretty natural end to this book. <laughs> yeah the premise seems great um sounds like you guys didn't connect with her story at all but you know that's fine right yeah we can't can't connect with all of them (laughs) if we only brought books that you guys would you see you guys connected with the the old white guy from the 1800s (laughs) (laughs) but when it got to the 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 new the the new modern ways of thinking you guys well you know what there you know if you guys only brought books that you connected with this would be uh this would be heavy a McCar- Carmack McCarthy books. Yes, it's been which R.I.P. Um, right. I think there should be more of this kind of wrestling in the public sphere. I think this is this is these are good explicit conversations to be having about like yeah. Ian, tell the litheads what to do. Um, and uh, you know, be firm with them. They you know they they need some guidance. Litheads, litheads, listen to me. Talk to them like you're their dad. <laughs> you do whatever you want. I, I love and respect you, and I appreciate your choices. No. <laughs> Uh, Linheads, if you want to support the podcast, you can uh, Ask head your on mother. over to. to <laughs> <laughs> no, you can head on over to uh, uh, social media of your choice: TikTok, Truth Social, mm-hmm. um, Mastodon, all the good. <laughs> and uh, we're, we're there. Um, Joe uh, Nick has started posting videos of our faces, which I truly, truly hate. Ian he does it on Instagram. It. Uh, you can also uh, f- subscribe and follow on podcast players of your choice. We have a website, you don't know lit podcast.com. That's spelled Y. <laughs> okay. uh, Joseph, <laughs> uh, you read a quote? Over, the, over at the website, you can request Ian's, a book or request a theme for us. Just like Josh, Josh did this week. Thank you, Josh, for this recommendation. Thank you, Josh. And you can request a sticky just in time for uh, road trip season. Slap those stickies all over the U.S. of A. as you travel right. around. Put them um, in places that it would be difficult to get them off. Absolutely. Uh, yep. Yeah. Just litter. Immortal, immortalize just us. Permanently litter <laughs> everywhere. I will send go. them personally. Send them to you with a handwritten letter of respect and congratulation. Congratulations to Robert Star, David Star, Jordan for being a Nazi. <laughs> and lulu miller Miller for not being a nazi she aced that exam this is when lulu is finding a little bit of meaning in this meaningless cold dark world she says 
Slowly, it came into focus. This small web of people keeping one another afloat. All these minuscule interactions, a friendly wave, a pencil sketch, some plastic beads strung up on a nylon cord. They might not look like much from the outside, but the, for the people caught inside the web, they might be everything. The very tethers that keep one bound to this planet. That, what was so, that is what was so maddening about the eugenicists. They failed to even consider the possibility of a web like this. They failed to consider the tangible ways in which people like Anna and Mary might be enriching the society around them, reflecting more light back into it, strengthening it. Mary is not sure she would have survived the colony without Anta. Well, that. That was something, was it not? The difference between life and death. Didn't that count for something? And that's when it hit me. That it was not a lie to say that Anna matters, or that Mary matters, or that, hold on to your seat, you matter, reader. It wasn't a lie to say so, but a more accurate way of seeing nature. It was the dandelion principle. To some people, a dandelion might look like a weed, but to others, that same plant can be so much more. To an herbalist, it's a medicine, a way of detoxifying the liver, clearing the skin, and strengthening the eyes. To a painter, it's a pigment. To a hippie, a crown. A child, a wish. To a butterfly, it's sustenance. To a bee, a mating bed. To an ant, a point in a vast olfactory atlas. And so it must be with humans. With us. From the perspective of the stars or infinity or some eugenic dream of perfection, sure, one human life might not seem to matter. It might be a speck on a speck on a speck, soon gone. But that was just one of the infinite perspectives. From the perspective of an apartment in Lynchburg, Virginia, that very same human could be so much more. A stand-in mother, a source of laughter, a way of surviving one's darkest years. 